If you're visiting with us the first time, um, this is really uh, kind of neat because you you just picked the wrong Sunday to come, okay? Um, <laughs> I'm kidding only a little. Uh, uh, we're talking about um, this, this, this series that we're doing, which is um, give is a four-letter word, right? And normally, I, I say this for those of you who, who are visiting or maybe you've only been here a couple times, we never talk about giving. You know, we never, and, and probably the reaction some of you would have, oh, they're like every other church, uh, they're going to talk about giving. We never talk about giving. You know, we try to give a quarterly, and we don't always do that, we try to give a quarterly update. You will be getting an end-of-year update real soon. Uh, they're getting the numbers finalized and everything. Just for just sort of an FYI, so you know where we are and everything. But um, uh, we just, there's a lot of reasons. Let me just give you a real quick little update if you don't know this, particularly for those of who, who may be visiting or have only been here a few Sundays. Um, just kind of a quick summary of the Renaissance culture on giving. Uh, we don't take an offering. Uh, we don't pass a plate. You probably already noticed that. And the reason, there's a lot of reasons we don't. I won't go into all of them, but, but the, the main reasons are because when you do that, while it can be very effective, um, it often encourages people to give for the wrong reasons, to give out of obligation, to give out of guilt, uh, to give because they feel like they have to. And we're really not interested in that. We're not interested in that at all. Um, in these next four weeks, I'll be telling you, one of the things you'll be hearing in two weeks, I'll be talking about, you really, if you do give, you should give with cheer, with, with joy, because you really want to be a part of this thing. The Bible's very clear about that. Um, and... This is the first time really in 30 years for me that I've ever done a whole series, four Sundays, uh, on give or giving. And you're going to see it's, I'm taking a little different twist. I'm just going to show you what the Bible teaches about the whole attitude of and what's involved with it and so forth. So um, that's the need here. Somebody, we, I was in a meeting a few months ago and somebody said that to me. I said, you know, you haven't taught on giving in a long time, and, and I haven't. It's been quite a while. So uh, I, I wanted just to kind of do that just from the biblical standpoint, but I want you to understand, particularly if you're new or fairly new to Renaissance, is, and you'll hear this every Sunday probably, we're not really interested in people giving out of guilt or giving out of obligation. Uh, we, want, we want people to give, but we want you to give for the right reasons. And we don't take an offering because we feel like that might encourage wrong reasons uh, at times. I'm not condemning those who do. That's their business, you know. Um, we have an offering box in the back, in case you didn't know that. You're always welcome to give. <laughs> and uh, we have folks who also who send us checks every month, and uh, some who every, send us, you know, depending on their their deal, they may, may be every quarter, or it may be, uh, you know, a big check every, every year, or it may be stocks uh, that people might give. So people give that way. Be careful with that stock. Um, no, um, give anything you want to give, seriously, whatever. And, uh, um, but that's how, that's how people give here. So just so you know, just a quick update with that. Um, what I really want to talk about, though, is this whole thing, when you talk about the whole idea of giving and, 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 and the whole concept of this, of this give is a four-letter word. It has become a four-letter word, unfortunately, in many, in many churches. And I want to just show you what the Bible teaches, and I want to begin with this whole thing, who do you trust or what do you trust, right? Where is your trust, basically? Um, because that's really what it comes down to. And then the question might come up... Um, you know, what does trust have to do with giving? Well, let me give you, let me give you a quote from, uh, I think, just a great 
great man, and most people would agree, Billy Graham. He said this, If a person gets his attitude toward money straight, it will help straighten out almost every other area in his life. That's why we need to know what the Bible teaches about giving and money and so forth. Because some people get, you know, they just get really whacked out in, in, their, in their life because they have a wrong attitude toward money and giving and all that goes along with that. And, and so we want to just try to show you what the Bible teaches about that. So, and you know, here's the other thing when we talk about that. What does trust have to do with giving? You know, why are you talking about trust, Rich? I thought you were talking about giving. Listen, here's an important issue. Don't miss this, okay? Don't miss this. Um, it's pretty hard to give what you're afraid of running out of. It's pretty hard to give what you're, what you're afraid of you're, you might run out of. So I want to I just explore that concept with you and just show you what the Bible says about that. I want to show you first, you, you, you probably know this, but it's one of those things you need to hear it again if you already do know this, that, that the time has proven over years, and some of you are a testament to this and could probably talk about this with some authority, that wealth and all that it can bring has many, many limitations. And I want to show you probably what was the richest man in the world, maybe ever, but certainly in the world at that time, um, sort of the uh, Warren, almost, I almost, almost always say Jimmy Buffett, the Warren Buffett of, of his time, um, and uh, even bigger than him, okay? And his name was Solomon. He was a king. He was the third king of Israel, and really only three kings of totally, totally united Israel. There was King, king Saul, and then King David, and then King um, Solomon. And Solomon was the most wealthy of any. And then after that, the kingdom crumbled, and it got all split up, and you had kings in the north and kings in the south, and kings coming after other kings. So anyway, um, Solomon said this himself. Watch this. Solomon, in chapter 2 of Ecclesiastes, said this, I amassed silver and gold for myself. And the treasure of kings and provinces. This is what I would do if I had a lot of money. I acquired male and female. He had his own singing group. Wouldn't it be great to have your own singing group? They'd call him in every, you know, every other night. Hey, come on and sing me a few songs, you know. Do something from the 60s. Do something from the 70s, you know. Wouldn't it be great? Anyway, and a harem as well. Never mind. We won't talk about it. So forth. I would not have one of those. Verse 9. My wife's there. So I just got to, you know. Anyway. Uh, Verse 9, I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me, and all this my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. Whenever I read that verse, I think about what that must have been like. He'd be going through catalogs. I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this. You know, go through them all. I want that, I want that, I want that. Anything. I mean, figuratively speaking, catalogs and malls. But anything. Wanted anything. Anything you wanted, you just got it. You know, I, I denied my eyes nothing. You know, nothing my eye, excuse me, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained. Nothing was gained under the sun. Nothing. That's pretty, uh, that's pretty, Powerful right there, coming from a guy who had everything. It, 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 just didn't, it, just didn't, it just didn't do it. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to think with me just for a couple of minutes about this whole thing. Uh, I'm going to call it quality of life. Now, quality of life is a relative term. 
When I lived in Colorado, quality of life meant, uh, we're, you know, I heard that all the time, we're living here for our quality of life. That meant that you'd, you'd work your tail off and whatever else, but so you could go ski in the middle of the day for two or three hours every day during ski season, which was great. Now, that was, what, that was what, what they wanted. When I hear the term, I hear it here as well, a lot, quality of life. That usually means that you, that I love the quality of life because I live in the burbs where it's nice and, and safe usually and, 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 you know, usually green in the summertime and all that, and, and then I'm, you know, 30 or 40 minutes or an hour away from New York where I can go to all the great plays and Broadway and, and the greatest restaurants in the world and so forth. They, they call that quality of life. So I don't care how you define quality of life. I want to talk about it for a minute, okay? Because I want to talk about even something better than any of that or all of that wrapped up together or something else that you could think of when you, when you say or when you hear quality of life. And it's this very important point. I want to make it. I want to make it very clear. Where you place your trust determines your quality of life. I don't want you to miss that. Think about that. Where you place your trust is going to determine your quality of life. Now, you know, one of the greatest causes of instability in people's lives is what they're trusting in, what what they're focusing on. And if that thing is, is, is not stable, they're not going to be stable. More about that in a minute. I want to take you to the Bible, First Timothy. A great passage, chapter 6. It's just a couple of verses. Um, well, three verses. But it's just very, very, uh, it's just got a lot in it. First Timothy, chapter 6, verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope or their trust in wealth. Look at this, which is so uncertain. This is written, what, 70-ish A.D.? This could have been written this week. Yeah, yeah, in, in, in wealth, which is so uncertain. But put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Um, by the way, just notice, if you will, back in the first part of that verse, command those who are rich. Sometimes people... And I don't know how this started. I've, I've, I've seen it a little bit, not so much in the circles that I've traveled in in most of my uh, lifetime as, as, a, as, a, as a pastor, but I know it's, it's very dominant, and that is that this, there's this, often this, this feeling in churches that somehow being rich is somehow some kind of a bad thing, or you're a bad person if you're rich. And, and you often get that in churches. And I've got to tell you, that's just not in the Bible. Um, and here's what, you know, and it's an interesting now, there's a lot of things about your, where your heart is and your love and, and, and it, if the love of money and things like that, and we're going to see a passage like that in a couple of weeks. But in verse 17, command those who are rich. He doesn't say anything wrong with it. He just says, make sure you're not arrogant. Make sure you put your hope, your trust, in something other than your wealth. So I want to, I want to just, I'm going to talk more about these verses in a moment, but I want to just kind of let you guard down for a minute because you know what? Sometimes people feel like, they got to apologize because God's blessed them. You don't have to apologize for that. Thank Him for it. You know? And, and furthermore, <laughs> end of the verse, enjoy it. There for your enjoyment. Wow, cool. It's in the Bible. There it is. Verse 18, next verse. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. Listen, the quality of your life is, is, is destined by your choices. 
of, what you, of who you're going to trust. It's just, it's, just it's, it's a natural result. Now, now, I want to define quality of life for you from the biblical perspective. Because he gives us three or four things here to just kind of hang our hats on, to think about in terms of what, what is quality of life and, and how does it work and, and what does it look like and, and so forth. So let me just talk about that for a moment because and we'll go back to some of these verses and see that and show you what I mean or what I think the Bible teaches by quality of life. The first thing is what he tells us, I, I call it limited disappointments, all right? Limited disappointment, because, because what he says in, in verse 17, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, we'll come back to that, nor to put their hope or their trust in wealth, which is so uncertain. Whenever we put our trust in something uncertain, guess what's going to happen? There will be disappointment. There just will be. And now you can think about that, and, and, and anything that you're trusting in that is changeable, anything that you're trusting in that is changeable, is going to give you, in some form, in some way, at some time, disappointment. And you need to understand that, and you need to hear that, and you need to see that uh, from the Bible. He says, don't trust in the money, because that's, that's going to disappoint you. It, for some of us, it might not be money. It might be people. Sometimes people change. Sometimes people die. And all of a sudden, that that we trusted is not there. And... and you know, sometimes it's just circumstances. People just trust. It happens a lot, I think. People just trust and say, things are going well, so I'm good. Well, what if I'm not going well? Are you not good? It's kind of a shallow way to live, but a lot of people do. Bible teaches us to, listen, quality of life means I'm limiting my disappointment. And the way I do that is I trusting the thing or the person or the only person that will never disappoint now, I understand that you might have things in your life, and there's nothing wrong with that. You might have a person or, or, or some other things in your life that, that you, you have some trust in, and I understand that. That's true. As long as you understand there's really only one place we can really go and, and not be disappointed, and that's God. Limited disappointment. Second quality of life that I would point to is, is, is this thing of pride. There's no room for pride. And that's when he says, isn't it interesting, verse 17, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. First place he goes, when he starts talking about wealthy people, first place he goes, don't be arrogant. He knows what we all know. Once we get that place where we, you know, where we have some success, maybe that comes in the form of money, maybe that comes in the form of influence, depending on what you do. Maybe it comes in the form of prestige, you know. The first place that he tells us is when that stuff comes, and he uses specifically those who are rich in this present world, don't get arrogant. And you know, arrogance is an ugly thing. And it is the mother of so many different things that are nasty. It is the mother, people that are obnoxious or arrogant. They cut you off. They, they say rude things. They, they jump in front of the line. They, 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 you know, whatever else they do, they do it because they think they're better. That's arrogance. Arrogance is just, is, is just the, at the root of so many issues, and it looks so nasty when you see it. And by the way, having been there a couple of times, as we all have, it's not much fun to be there either. It's, it's pretty miserable, actually, when you have that pride just eating away at you, and the arrogance is kicking in, and you think you're better than everybody else. Um, it's, not, it's not a good quality of life, even when you're there. Because you're comparing and you're, and you, you know, putting people down and just being negative. It's just, it's, just not a, it's just not good quality of life. 
The Bible tells us no place for that. So, quality of life. Limiting your disappointments because you're not trusting in the wrong thing. No room for pride. The third thing really kind of says it all. It's just understanding the source. Just understanding the source. What do you mean by that? Um, Well, I would go back to what he says in the last part of verse 17. Put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. It's just understanding the source of what you have. Because you see, the real problem when we can't, when we don't want to give, and, or it's hard for us to give something that we're afraid of running out of, the real problem is to recognize, well, it's really not mine anyway. It really came from God. Whether, and here's the issue, and this, this also takes care of the pride thing. So you say, you know what, I, I, and I've talked to people like this a number of times. Well, you've been blessed. Yeah, I have been. I've been blessed, and I've done very well. And my question sometimes is something like, well, why? What do you think that is? Well, you know, I got a good education. I worked really, really, I've been working really, really hard. I'm smart. And um, look for good opportunities. Okay? And then my question usually is, so do you suppose there's somebody else on this planet who's got a really good education, and they work really, really hard, and they're smart, maybe even a couple of points smarter than you, and, and they're looking for good opportunities. And they don't have as much as you. And maybe they don't even have half as much as you. You think, suppose there's anybody else like that? Well, yeah, there might be. So where do you suppose it came from? How come you? I mean, let's, let, let, let's go back. Go back to verse 17. You know, it's, it's very clear, folks. You know? Put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything. It's never used in the first place. Are you going to run out of it? Well, you never had, you never had an unlimited source anyway. It was, it, was, it was God. He has an unlimited source. And whether we're talking about money, whether we're talking about talent, whether we're talking about gifts, whether we're talking about influence, whether we're talking about whatever we're talking about, it is all God's and he's just loaning it to you. So the sooner you understand that, the whole giving thing just follows. And that's the issue here, is just understanding the source. And that's where a lot of folks, unfortunately, just somehow miss the boat. And by the way, I want to emphasize this one more time. He does, it, I mean, it's right here in the Bible when he says, it comes from God who richly provides us with everything. And don't forget that last prepositional phrase, for our enjoyment. There's nothing wrong with enjoying whatever you've been blessed with. Don't let anybody make you feel guilty about that. Okay? And sometimes people want to. Well, you know, yeah. don't worry. Don't, don't go there. The Bible, right there. It's for your enjoyment, but it's from God. Can't miss that. So quality of life, limiting disappointment, no room for pride, understanding the source of, your, of, of whatever it is you have, understanding that. Um, didn't come from your company. You know, you, you, I've said this before, and I think it's an important concept. It was a, it was a life-changing moment for me when I realized if, if you get a, figuratively speaking, if you get a paycheck or whatever, you, whether it's a deposit or whatever, the name at the bottom of that line is not whoever it is. It's the head of your company or your own or whoever. It's God. Whoever, it's, it's always from God. Just remember that. And I don't care whether you're working for the church or whether you're working for some bank somewhere or some company somewhere or whatever. Let me give you this, this fourth thing that he gives us here in the Bible. really kind of wraps up these other three, kind of puts it all together because this is really what God is after. This is really what God wants. 
I can say with a great degree of authority. Uh, not because I believe it, I do believe it, but because the Bible teaches it. When we talk about quality of life, we're talking about a giving person. Just being a giving person. I want you to do a little mental exercise for me right now. Who do you know? Don't raise your hand. Don't say it out loud. <laughs> that's really a giving person that you can think of. Maybe one or two, maybe half a dozen. And you think that they're really a giving person. Now, let's take that a step further. Who do you know that's really a giving person and maybe they don't have, a lot, maybe they don't have much money at all? See, this isn't about income. This isn't about class. This isn't about, you know, financial statements and portfolios. This has to do with the heart of the matter, which is what God is looking at. He wants all of us to be giving people. Of our money, yes. Of our time, yes. Of whatever talents and gifts we have, absolutely. The whole package. And how that looks for different people is different and how people, how you can be a, a giving person. Maybe it's just spending time talking to someone and trying to encourage them. Maybe it's, maybe it's in some other form, in some other way. But it's amazing how this works. Let me show you a proverb that talks about a giving person. The generous prosper and are satisfied. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. I mean, that's just very powerful stuff to me. People who are generous are refreshed. How, 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 how does that happen? Many different ways. Sometimes it's words of encouragement. Sometimes it's, 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 it's other, other forms, other ways. Sometimes it might be something, you know, material. I, I don't know. It just happens many different ways. And that proverb is just so good. The generous prosper. And the prosper, you know, I don't read into that prosper. Prosper doesn't, isn't just money. It, it might include that, but it involves a whole bunch of other stuff. Those who refresh others will themselves, be, will, be, will themselves be satisfied. What God is looking for from you and from me is for us to be giving people. That will govern our attitude of, of what we give. I'm going to show you in, in, in next week, in two weeks, or I don't know, three weeks. Well, I can't remember which one it is. But I'm going to show you um, what the Bible teaches. And you get into some different things about, well, do we give this percent or that percent and, you know, or this percent. I'm going to show you some things. Maybe I, I would... Give, a lot of you probably haven't seen before because these some, some stuff that people just ministers just totally ignore, and I'm not sure why, but they do. Well, I do. I have. I think I know why. It's more effective to ignore them, raise more money, but we're not. We're not. We're not looking for that. We're looking for you to be where you should before God. We're looking for you to be a giving person before God. And God will take care of the rest. He'll take care of you. And he'll take care of us, the church. That, that's what. That's what we're looking at. Um, we're looking for you to be a giving person. And that's going to have many different faces. It's going to have many different ways. It's going to, it's going to take many different forms. And, and that's, that's a good thing. Um, I'm going to show you in just a moment. Um, it's one last thing. What I really want you to think about, and let, me just, let me just say a couple of real quick comments about this because I think it's really important in, in a place like a place, a church, that we really understand that the whole thing that God is looking for and what God is after in, in, in any of us is, you know, it's not just to, to, do, to give this or to give that. And, and so many times we, we get so turned around with that. And I have to spend a lot of time as a result unteaching as opposed to teaching because that has just been ingrained in so many of us. 
You know, you, why are you giving? Why are you giving? Well, I want to go to heaven. Well, if you're giving because you want to go to heaven, save your money. That's not going to get you there, okay? Trust Jesus. That'll get you there. Uh, so many times I say, well, give because the church needs it. Well, that might be true. Is that a reason to give? Well, it may affect some of your motivation. But the truth is, you give because you want to be a part of whatever it is that's going on there. And that might involve an area, and we're going to see this too, and there's a passage talking about giving cheerfully. What does that mean? We're going to talk about that. You know? But it has, this is the base. This is the base point right here. If we don't get this giving person part, an understanding of that, all the rest is just sort of out there somewhere. So this is, this is where we have to begin as we think about this, because we, we and the quality of life that we're going to have are, are totally subject to our trust. We can't get around that. We just can't get around that. Where you place your trust determines your quality of life. This is a guy I don't quote very often. Uh, Rick Warren, writer of The Purpose Driven Life, a book that sold ridiculous amounts, like 35 million copies or some crazy number like that. Um, very, very um, influential influential book in many people's lives. Let me show you this. This is just, I think this says it all. The most common myth about money is that having more will make me more secure. It won't. Wealth can be lost instantly through a variety of uncontrollable factors. This was written 20 years ago, so, you know, it's amazing, huh? Wealth can be lost instantly through a variety of uncontrollable factors. Real security, real security can only be found in that which can never be taken from you, your relationship with God. That's where it begins, that's where it continues, and that's where, that's the end of the, that's, that's, that's it. When we don't understand that, then we can get really selfish. Then we can get really, well, I don't know if I should, you know. Then we can get really, oh, I can't give because uh, it might run out. Well, not if you're trusting God. He'll deal with that. You say, well, you know, do I have to? Yeah, sure, you plan, you work hard, you put aside money, you, you save for your kids' education. I don't say you don't do those things. Of course you do that. You know, have some common sense. But the trust has to be there of God and God Almighty. And the only thing that, you can, that can never be taken from you is your relationship with God. It still comes back to that. And that's the thing that, you know, maybe, maybe in all the stuff that's going on in our, in our world at least, maybe there's some more thought about that. I was talking to somebody the other day, and, and, and I was, he was talking, about, I don't know what's going to happen. He was, he was a guy in, in a bank, and he said, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I, don't, I, I literally don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And I said, you know what? You, you, you never knew. <laughs> you never knew what was going to happen tomorrow. You just thought you did. <laughs> Now you're aware of it, and that's a good thing. That's what's that's what's funny about that. Funny in a peculiar kind of way. We never knew what was going to happen tomorrow. Just now, we're it's just an awesome thing thinking about it. Real security can only be found in that which you can never be, which can never be taken from you, and that is your relationship with God. Jesus made that possible, and He came and lived and suffered and died and rose again to give us access to a relationship with God Almighty. And now, more than ever, we need to trust Him.
that will determine our quality of life. Let's pray together. Lord God, we are thankful for what we see here, what we can absorb mentally and put into our minds. I pray that we'd be able to think through some of this, maybe even later today as we talk about it with friends or or whomever. But God, give us the ability to have a more, uh, a deeper trust in you. Help us to be constantly aware of that. Today, particularly in the age in which we live, and in the days to come when maybe things get stabilized. Help us to trust you. Because we know that will affect what kind of a, of a giving person we are. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.